Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. Hello, everybody. This is Shane Claiborne, and I am so glad you could join us for this conversation. This is going to be a great little talk with a, a, a friend when I admire and love and conspire with all the time uh brother dave gibbons he's the founding pastor of new song out in uh california he's uh, also an organizer of all kinds of little spin-off underground movements connecting influencing folks and artists and business folks and uh, and loves the sweet lord and cares about justice so we've been doing this work for a long time it's good to be together buddy well, Shane, it's good to be with you, man. It's been too long. I, I tell you, you know, I, I still remember, you know, being in the Dead Sea and mud all over our bodies. Yeah. That's how we bonded. That was one of our first bonding experiences, traveling through, walking the roads that Jesus walked over in the Holy Land and also grieving how unholy some of the, the things happening over there, uh, hurting so many of our Palestinian uh uh, brothers and sisters and but we did get to i ate, ate a fish out of the sea of galilee and thought man this thing's probably related to some of the fish jesus ate and then we floated in the dead sea which i don't know if you've ever done that y'all but we covered ourselves in mud this is expensive mud you can like buy this mud in places right we like did our little um whatever moisturizing of our skin but then you float in this thing and it's so um filled with salt that you're buoyant and you're not you can't go under the water because if you get it down your throat apparently it makes your throat <laughs> throat like close up and you can choke so but it was amazing like being there and thinking you know i mean th this is this is exactly where the sweet lord uh lived and walked on this earth and here we are right <laughs> it was so beautiful man that was one of the most special trips you know with brian yeah. There's other guys that came with us. It was it was beautiful. Yeah, it sure was. Uh, I don't know if I told you the side part of this too was uh you know Katie was on uh, one of the trips we, we I did two of them over there and she was on one and I asked her if she wanted to walk up the um uh Mount of all Mount of Olives there you know and and uh -huh. uh, um and we did it really early in the morning she told me she thought I was going to propose to her there so I totally like let her down on that. <laughs> <laughs> but I did propose shortly later. But uh, yeah, that was, those were amazing times. And we've had so many, you know, you have friends that you walk with for years like we have. And mm. we, we, you know, after the Charlottesville, uh, you know, white supremacist rally there with the torches and mm -hmm. the young woman, uh, Heather Hayer, was killed. Uh, we, we walked on the anniversary of that, right, from Charlottesville, Virginia to Washington, D.C. Yeah. They've got the biggest blister I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> oh, covered a third of my foot, man. <laughs> but that's what I love is we, we care. You know, we're going to we're going to get some blisters. We're going to um, 
show up, you know, and there's a few friends that you, you end up, I think each of us, if we're lucky, we've got some friends that we can just show up together when mm-hmm. um, there's a crisis or there's something we need to do together. And we, we keep trying to do that, man. And I, I love it. And uh, uh, you, you know, one of this Christian nationalism sure has like some new manifestations, but it's one of those things, right. That's sort of kind of been, um, I mean, it, it's embedded in our country. I mean, this is something that you look all the way back to this theology manifest destiny and this idea of sort of American exceptionalism that we're the, you know, the new city on the hill. God's got a unique vocation for our country as a Christian nation. Like all this stuff is like, it, it's, it's, it's embedded um, in our national identity. And you grew up in the thick of that. Um Talk a little bit about, I mean, first, it's probably helpful for folks that can't see you, you know, to know a little of your backdrop being from an interracial family and also like, but you grew up like with a certain sensitivity to that. Right, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm a Korean American and my dad was white and my mom's Korean. And so I, I grew up in this bicultural atmosphere. And then we moved from Maryland to Arizona. And in that trip to Arizona, uh, my my uncle was a fundamentalist associate pastor at one of the largest independent Baptist churches in America. Uh, they like to describe themselves as independent, militant, fundamentalist Baptist. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. They made sure to put that all on the sign. <laughs> I think they thought it attract some people. And then and underneath it, it should say, just like Jesus. <laughs> oh, my, oh, I know. Oh, oh, help us, Lord. Help us, uh, Militant, but, yeah. Go ahead. But, but, you know, these are good people. You know, they're, they're yeah. good people. And, you know, we, we found a home with them. And, but, you know, a lot of it was based upon fear. And so we mm. came to know Jesus mostly because we didn't we felt that the flames of hell on our, our behinds. And so that scared us. And so I remember accepting Christ when I was really early, but I accepted Christ probably a thousand times because I was scared every time I went to church, I'd make sure I was a Christian. Yeah. But, you know, I grew up in that atmosphere and, and I remember saying the pledge of allegiance to three flags. I went to the, the private Christian school. My dad sent me there and it was a pledge of allegiance to the American flag, the Christian flag, and also to the Bible. Mm. It's so every every, wow. every weekday, man, it's pretty intense. And then uh, as I grew into that, you know, just I remember asking my pastor as, as I grew older, and I wasn't being trying to be mean or anything, but I just said, hey, is everything so black and white in the Bible? And I was like in junior high. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, yeah, man, everything's black and white. There's no gray in the Bible. And I said, okay. And- wow, <laughs> maybe, maybe it reminds me of that old uh, cartoon, right? That uh, you know you're a fundamentalist if you only got to use two colors of crayons growing up, white and black. You know? <laughs> I never heard that. That's hilarious. But yes, I grew up in that, and uh, and then eventually I went to their flagship school, Bob Jones University. You know, is yeah. To talk about that because this is this is something that you know we got a lot of listeners that are outside of the U.S. and they may not know and probably even folks here in the U.S. that aren't real familiar with the history of fundamentalism or you know what Bob Jones um, really um, the the role that they played historically but say say just a little bit more about that um, and yeah because uh, you know what what who what Bob Jones kind of represented because they you know historically they were um, 
a major player in I, th I think even kind of the differentiation right between fundamentalism and the larger evangelical church right yeah yeah well you know it was the largest christian university in america at the time hmm. i think they had around seven thousand students you know before liberty became bigger and uh, but it was the, the flagship christian school and it, it was unusual in that you know as fundamentalist so you think it'd be you know a little bit this you know not as uh like uh like renaissance in terms of like their ability to engage society but they're actually trying to also be very cultural because bob jones the the the, the, the son of the founder he was a shakespearean actor and so there's a lot of culture that they try to play into it where you know you had to learn culture and art mm. and be civil and etiquette and all this stuff but at the heart of it all there was this this fundamental theology which was rooted a lot of it was in the systemic racism yeah and, um and that came to play because i think i you know i i i faced it personally because i i was i was uh, i was elected like in student body office and in the biggest the biggest part of the the school undergraduate program was the the, the preacher boys they called them and so the bible majors and so I was like the vice president of this. And so at that time, uh, it was unusual because Bob Jones was, was being challenged by the Supreme Court. Uh, there are no interracial dating policy. Yeah, now this is, this is big. We're going to talk about this. We're going to dig a little deeper on this because this, this was massive. So, um, you know, at a certain point after Brown versus Board of Education, after like the federal government and the Supreme Court ruled that mm -hmm. you cannot segregate and you cannot discriminate based on race. There were Christian schools, and Bob Jones was one of them, that really fought for their right to discriminate. Yeah. Um, and, and um, you know, they, so as a uh, Korean American, mm -hmm. uh, you've told me this story a few times, but you know, <laughs> they didn't allow interracial dating. In fact, you, you got to remember for folks listening outside the U S like loving versus Virginia, which ruled that you, that interracial uh, marriage is legal. That was in 1967. Yeah. Right? right. And, but Bob Jones still held uh, that you couldn't date interracially until like, 2000 i think yeah it's right? 2000 so this, that's the backdrop so now you know talk a little bit about you know you you experienced that personally right yeah yeah i was there and it was it was difficult for them when i first came on campus was at that time genetically i was like what i thought i was white and korean so i was half half yeah and my brother is also half right and so but i was called into the office a year later saying hey it's been reported you've been dating caucasian and I said, yeah, I got permission, man. They go, <laughs> they go, you, they go you can't. And I go, why can't I? They go, well, we have three factors here. Number one is, you know, the culture. And then number two is the language. Number three is your looks. And I look 100% Korean. And so they're saying, uh, you can't date here. And they go, in fact, you probably want to leave our school. Oh, and and so they're suggesting that. And, and what was weird was my brother, he looked more white you know, and, uh, and so he was able to continue dating Caucasian. So that was a, it was like thrust upon me. They go, Dave, hey, we know you can cause a lot of trouble here at the school because at that time, the news media was coming on the campus from across the nation. You know, they were trying to, or outside the campus, they were trying to figure out how to 
to find some, a witness like, you know, from the students. And so they go, we know you can cause a lot of trouble. And uh, yeah. I go, that's not my intent. And, yeah, uh, wow. So yeah, so I just remember that, that thrust me into the whole, like I always dealt with racism since the fourth grade. I remember feeling it in, when I was in Arizona, but this really kind of took me to another place when I saw that Christians were holding this type of ideology. Yeah, I mean, and, and y'all, this is, you know, at the time, like Dave said, this is biggest evangelical school or, you know, Christian school uh, in the country. And that, I mean, I think, you know, when we look back at that, we're appalled by it. But this was very normative at the time. And I think it helps explain some of the fault lines around race that we're seeing right now in our country. Right. I mean, we're seeing like other manifestations of this, even, you know, our brother, Jamar Tisby was just uh, speaking at Grove City College, another prominent evangelical school. And this is just a few months ago. And they uh, responded in a really, really terrible way. And that's still sorting itself out. We've really tried to amplify Jamar's um, beautiful message. And and, I mean, he's, he's, uh, I mean, he's actually preaching the gospel. That's the irony of it, right? That like sin affects individuals and it affects society and our systems like uh um and and you, you know that the, the fact that we're still there right i mean this is not 1967 this is you know we're 20 2022 right now right. and yet there's some white christians white evangelical christians in particular that have a really hard time it, it really is like they're more shaped by whiteness than by the gospel and by Jesus. And it creates so many fault lines around when we're talking about how, um, you know, the residue of hundreds of years of racism and slavery still has a mark on our society. And Mm -hmm. I mean, denying that it, it, it really blows the mind, but you know, what would you say as you're, as you're kind of taking the pulse on our country right now, Yeah, what are some things that we can, celebrate that we've 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 made it you know some progress but there's also a lot of things that we need to pay attention to right now right like this that fear is what you you know one of the things that i heard you say dave is and i think of that this idea of replacement theory right a lot of this is about folks that have been the gatekeepers Mm -hmm. of morality Mm -hmm. and of power that as the demographics of america are changing and those power dynamics are changing there is this um nostalgia right of how america used to be in 1967 right we want to make america great again and they mean I mean, really explicitly now, like it's even hidden that they mean make America white again. These people are replacing us. And that's what they said in in Char- uh, Charlottesville as, you know, overt white supremacists with torches are marching or saying you will not replace us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, tell me, like, as you're as you're kind of taking the pulse of America, what, what are some of the things that you're seeing? For well, good or bad? One, well, no, well, I think, number one, that it's, it's just to me, it's a. Uh, it's quite good and it's also difficult. So it's the reckoning that has happened. And, you know, maybe a lot of churches don't like it, but what's been exposed is the real evil. And also some, sometimes the real beliefs of what leadership thinks regarding uh, race and um, also our social issues of the day, you know, whether it's guns or whether it's uh, life itself with um, pro-life or pro-choice, you know, that, all these things are coming to bear where it used to be hidden 
but now people are recognizing like, you no, know, this is what the church really thinks about it. So I think that yeah. that's a good thing that God wanted to, I feel, expose what was really happening and not live, have us live under this guise or this illusion that we're, we're, we're these loving Christians when we were actually not. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, we, we've said together that Donald Trump um, didn't change America. He revealed America, uh, mm-hmm. you know, kind of ripped away the veil. And a lot of that was already there, but it certainly has been emboldened. And in some ways, I think, you know, now that several years later, there are some things that have changed, you know, in America, like that it's going to be really hard to um, recover from. But, but you know, th- those like principalities and powers have been there. Um, and I mean, the wild thing is, I think he knew it, you know, he said, I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue, and people would still support me. And yeah. so some of what, what, what breaks my heart, Dave, and I, I want to hear your thoughts on it, is, or that, that what's at stake is not just political. I mean, this is not about a party, a lot of what's at stake is the integrity of the Christian faith. I mean, as we see the January 6th, uh, hearings happening. And we remember that those signs, the Confederate flag was there, but so were all these Jesus signs and all this prayer that, you know, we were taking America back for God and stuff, right? So like people are really sickened by that distorted, I, I, I mean, I call, I call it a heresy. I don't, I don't think we need to validate it as a Christian yeah. expression, but it's, it's sure trying to camouflage itself as Christianity, right? Yeah, man, I, I think it's brought, you know, to me, when I, when I think about the church and what's happening, it, it really forces us to come back to this whole ethic of love again. Yeah. It's, I, I feel like it's been so focused on some of the, the legalistic aspects of our faith where they exegete the word, but the word was always meant to be like a container of, of a part of an idea or a catalytic thing to see a broader idea. That, that may be more abstract for people to understand, but the word wasn't supposed to just be exegeted and then held to without understanding of how it fits into a context. Yeah. And so to me, when I understood, and I think this is what's happened is people are to understand the ethic of love, that love supersedes the law. Um, it really helps us to then design a life and to order a life that's more reflective of Christ yeah. And so I think it's, again, a good thing that the church is, is, and I think young people, especially, because I think they're leaving the church or they've left the church and they don't want anything to do with the for institutional church, but I, but they still love Jesus. I, we had a, um, a, 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 a man uh, who's won the drag queen, um, Sutan, uh, Sutan Amrul, amazing mm-hmm. guy. He won the RuPaul's drag queen. And he, he came to church and I interviewed him in our service. And I, I remember him saying, he goes, I, he goes, I really don't have a problem with Jesus because I have a problem with the, the Christians who follow Jesus. Mm, mm, and mm. I said, man, that's so right. And I, so I, I feel like what we have to go after as the church and, and our problem is, is just to be honest where, hey, we're we've been maybe holding fast to this black and white stuff that maybe, you know, it's there for sure. We're supposed to, it's, 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 it's important to follow, but the law was also always supposed to lead us to the schoolmaster, you know, right. to lead us to Christ in their relationship with Jesus. Yeah. 
So, man, so, you know, what, so with any of these social concerns that are coming up and any, you know, and the issues of race, you know, I always ask, like, what would love do? You know, yeah. What, is, what does love look like, really? And that's it. That's I mean, that's what Jesus said, too. Right. It all boils down to love. Love God. Love your neighbor. Uh, all the law is summed up into this. You know, I, I like that line by uh, Barbara Brown Taylor. You know, she says the only clear line I draw these days is this. When my religion tries to my neighbor, I will choose my neighbor because Jesus never commanded me to love my religion. Wow. You know, Jesus never called us to love our theology more than our neighbor. And so if your theology gets in the way of love uh, with that theology, right? <laughs> I mean, whether it's 1967 or 2022, if if it's not loving, if it, if it doesn't smack, that, that's kind of the sniff test uh, for our faith is, is does it love like Jesus, you know, if it's not about welcoming immigrants, if it's not about um, showing concern for those who have been marginalized, then let's not call it, not call it Christianity, because it doesn't love like Jesus, right? Totally. I was, uh, my daughter and I got to share yesterday, you know, at the message, and, you know, she's, she's amazing, and we were talking about, you know, that passage in in Luke 5, or, 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 no, John 5, it talks, says, uh, Jesus only did what he saw his father doing, Mm. And it's in the context of that guy that was by the water for 38 years, but that Seda trying to get into the water, but no one would help him in. Hmm. You know, and so Jesus comes up and says, hey, brother, pick up your mat and walk. And then he yeah. starts walking and the religious people got all upset at him, uh, you know, Jesus. And they're, hey, where's this guy that healed you? And the guy says, he's over. The, oh, he's gone. And so he goes, I don't know who it was. And then, uh, then the guy happened to meet Jesus in the temple, and, and Jesus says, "Hey, man, you, hey, what's going on?" Because you need to stop sinning, bro. And then he says, "You know, otherwise you may, be, you know, continue to be like sick sometimes." And, and then that man, right afterwards, he went back to the religious leader and said, "Hey, Jesus in the temple." And then they started harassing Christ, mm. and you know, saying, "Hey, you know, the law says you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath," mm. and that's when Jesus says, "I only do what I see my Father doing." Hmm. And I go, wow, that, that's really powerful because what he did was they were so focused on the exegesis of the word and the law. But Jesus said, no, no, there's a bigger picture of this. I know the father and the father is really about this love, which supersedes all that law that you're focused on. Yeah, yeah. And, hmm. so, I, and so, he's, so I said, man, Jesus only did what he saw his father. I said, man, what's important is not just simply try, us trying to preach the word. It's, man, it's, it's us living the word. What does it look like to live the word, word, word in real society, in our companies, in our networks, with our friends? Again, what guides me is just not trying to interpret one text, but also, it's not, again, it's not doing away with it, but also ethically, what does love do in this? If this is your son or your daughter, yeah. how, how would you treat this? And that makes it really tangible and real. Otherwise, you're just living this abstract monastic perspective, I think, that doesn't have deal with reality. Yeah, I think of that scripture, you know, that perfect love casts out fear. And it really does feel like those things are at war um, in our country right now. I mean, so many of our policies, guns, immigration, like everything is, is around um, whether we're going to choose love or we're going to be driven compelled by our fears our fear of scarcity our fear of other people our you know um 
fear of being replaced or whatever it is, you know, whatever, whatever, like evil manifestation that tries to make itself, but the devil's a liar. Get behind us. Get out. Uh, hey, we got like two minutes left. And I wanted to just ask you like, what, what, you know, what you're thinking on these days. I know you've done a lot around third culture and you've done a lot of, of thinking of what it means to be the church right now, but you know, uh, you were writing before we jumped on the zoom machine here to record this. And, um, what what are what are some things you're you're thinking or mulling over or praying through right now or writing about? Yeah, I'm doing a memoir right now because I think it's important for people to kind of hear an inside story of like being involved in in this this the sanctuary of like Christian nationalism, yeah, mm-hmm. the inner sanctum of it. And so I, I think I, it was important for me to process all that, you know, being yeah. an Asian American. Uh, but what what's coming out of it is I think having more of a comfort in life around mystery and being able to deal with complexity, not just seeing everything as binary, that there's a complexity of life that's mysterious, but that, but entering into that mystery is a beautiful thing. Mm. You know, in fact, you know, if you have it all figured out your life and with Christ can be boring, but if mm. it's really, he's a mysterious God and he's deep and he's, he's filled with so much uh, uh, like expansiveness there's so much joy in the pursuit of this mm. and then mm. the infinite nature of who God is. So, yeah, so I've been flowing more into that space as I, I'm, I've been thinking a lot during this time is, is really be able to embrace mystery and the love of Christ for me. Well, y'all, we are uh, wrapping it up here. Great conversation with my, my brother, uh, Dave Gibbons and Dave uh, is the founding pastor out at New Song. And how, how can folks kind of uh, find you on socials or online, man? Yeah, on Twitter, Dave K. Gibbons. And then, cool. uh, I'm sorry, Dave Gibbons on Twitter. And Instagram's Dave K. Gibbons. Cool. And, yeah, and then DaveGibbons.org on, on the And internet. you can listen to him preach at New Song. And every once in a while, you can hear me uh, preach out there too. Love you, man. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, bless you and uh, check us out at redletterchristians.org you can see more about Dave and uh, catch up with all the other folks there redletterchristians.org we'll talk to you next week we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast too often Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in but at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.